0: Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College online journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program.
1: You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer.
2: Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, professor of history at the uh, Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the podcast editor of The War Room. Uh, thanks for joining us today for a recurring feature on The War Room podcast, on maybe. A Better piece, maybe a recurring feature. Uh, this is an editor's water cooler discussion. Uh, which includes three of the senior editors of the uh, War Room here at the War College. One is Professor Jacqueline Witt, uh, who is, of course, the editor in chief of the War Room.
1: Hello, happy to be here.
2: Good to be here. And of course, Dr. Tom Bruschino, who is our Dusty Shelves editor and uh, general uh, knowledgeable guy about military history and literature. Best introduction ever. You like that? I'm working on it, Tom. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and uh, one of the one of the advantages of being the podcast editor is that uh, whenever we have a podcast uh, that includes an editor's roundtable, the podcast editor can can uh, ex officio be part of the conversation. So that's me. So the three of us are here to do something that lots of people do. But rarely have the opportunity to do while recording and that is have a discussion about the ideas that are animating them at this time to think about how they fit into what we do here at the War College uh, and a conversation that we hope will stimulate comment and response from the uh, from the listening audience as it were. So I wanted to start, because Tom brought this up uh, before we started recording, that the Oscars, of course, just happened. 1917 attracted a lot of attention uh, for, for the film that it was, but also for what it says about what kind of history we expect from the movies, and especially what kind of history we expect from movies about wars. So Tom, what'd you think of 1917? Well, first, did you guys see it?
1: I haven't seen it, so. I have not
2: seen it either. That's why right, I asked you. So sure. right. so, yeah, so... <laughs> um,
0: I'm the I am the leading expert, on this. The expert. in this in the room See just like the, that around the water cooler. I, I don't I don't know. I I am sort of like everyone else. I think about 1917 or, or a lot of people which is that it's uh, how it's made is amazing mm-hmm. with the sort of the the, the affected single shot right. where they're following everybody around is, is unbelievable how they do that and it sort of immerses you in it. Uh, but I did find myself sort of you know sort of strangely unmoved by the movie. It didn't mm. do that much for me. I was, you know, it was it was fine as far as the story and, and everything went, but it just, right? You know, it didn't do that much for me. I thought it was, you know, it, um, you know maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm British World War One history out. Like, there's, <laughs>
1: it's just too much of the same. It's story. always was the there same, nothing New to it.
0: Well, it's always that Flanders Field yeah. sort of mm-hmm. style thing of, of, you know, it's always funny we do Flanders Fields, and, and you know, the Belgians never actually make it into Flanders Fields mm-hmm. in any of our World War One. In English, anyway, it seems like it's always just it's always British, it's just the,
2: the, the British marching through Belgium. Yeah, well, I, it, this gets to a, to a bigger question about war movies, right? Is that the wars are big things, and when you try to make a movie about a war, you can either zoom out and do some kind of uh, you know, from the subspatia eternitatis yeah. view of the war, or you can decide to create a personal story that then the war sort of revolves around, right? We could say this is the the difference between, say, The Longest Day, which tries to look at everything that happened on D-Day, and Saving Private Ryan, which shows D-Day, but then decides to zero in on a personal story because somehow that helps us to understand the war better. Do we think that well, really works? The, I mean, that's the
1: conceit, right? Yeah. Is that understanding a personal story or a perspective in war actually illuminates the whole thing. And I think historians... Have the, we have the same issue in in print right sure. when we start to write books or articles right how do you illuminate these big important things and at what what's your scale and what's your sort of level of analysis to use a, a sort of technical term um, but it's not as if movie makers directors and producers and and writers are the only ones sort of struggling with that with that question of scale and scope and how to contextualize. Um, I think for, for movies, when you add in, right, the visual elements the cinematography, the, uh, the soundtrack and all of that, like it, it gives you more options Mm -hmm. in terms of how to tell, how to tell the story. But for, for me, the, the question isn't whether it tells you the story of the war. This is why there's not a war movie. Right. Right. You need, (laughs) you need lots of them just like there's not a history book about World War One or World War II or Vietnam, right. um, you actually you need this multiplicity of of stories in order to get a sense of what's happening. Well
2: and, and Tom about World War One in particular, it's what I'm thinking about is that on the one hand, right, our our the the broader popular conception of World War One is it was this feudal pointless war with lots of feudal mm-hmm. pointless dying. But at the same time, because of the influence of all those British poets it it also is the war that provides us with the most individual voices, even the, even if these are individual voices talking about the futility of individual lives. Is World War One a particular challenge for storytelling? Do you
0: think? Well, I think that that's it's it's funny you bring that up in this particular case in the World War One case. Jackie makes a good point. Uh, it's just not the right one for World War One, right? Because <laughs> there is one story, there yeah. is one war. It's the yeah. futile, nasty. Trench war, flooded, flooded trenches, rats everywhere. Uh, it's
1: all on the Western Front. It's all on the it's Western Front, but, but it's not just the Western yeah. Front.
0: It's that it's that northern part of the Western Front. The French are hardly even in our World War One. True, which is you know, somehow stunning, also stunning in, in the case about how much the British and and you're right, all of the British or almost all of the British voices and the poets are those. Uh, the poets in particular mm-hmm. uh, are these that it's this meaningless war. And in fact, the critiques that I've seen of 1917, which I find really sort of sad is that it's, it's not, you know, the, the war is not futile enough. It's not meaningless <laughs> enough. How it dare, needs to be, how dare how we find enough? something hopeful yeah.
2: in this conflict? Yeah. There's,
0: or? yeah, there's, there's a, a glimmer of something. Of humanity kind of and hope. In positive life. happening here in this war. Uh, and they're like, Hey, that's, that's not how it went. I read Wilfred Owen and, and Sassoon and, and Robert Graves and all of them. So I can't, you know, I, I we can't accept this. This is not, this mm-hmm. is not right. I know that world war one was meaningless and futile. Uh, So I think it's interesting that that 1917 is sort of taking the critique and I don't think it's it's certainly not a rah-rah movie Mm -hmm. Uh, You you definitely won't get that from the uh, from seeing it And in fact, I think the only time you ever saw sort of something that was kind of like rah-rah with world war one stuff Directly is is the air power stuff Here's some of the wings and things like Mm -hmm. that were a little bit Mm of the romantic the kind of knights of the sky Right, uh, you know individuals who are separated from this slog on the ground, but I think it's interesting like you know I was, was going to say this: your know, favorite World War One movies. What sort of drove this home for me? And as we're a hundred years out and right. we're onto the memory stuff, uh, is that you know last year, I guess a little bit more than last year, so two thousand eighteen, uh, the Peter Jackson mm-hmm. came out with that. They shall not grow old, yeah. right? Which is interesting because you talk about the voices of the war, and one of the things he does in it, uh, besides you know everybody focused on the colorizing and fixing and the stuff, which, and and the and all of the work they did to clean up the the film, which is amazing. But the other thing they did was, I don't know, if, did you see that one? Did you yes. see that? Yeah, I did yet. see that one. All right. So, you know, the, all of the our vo- are, are recordings of World War One veterans. Right. So there mm-hmm. are voices of, mm-hmm. and this is uh, the voices of people who experienced it. And so you always have this, you know, historians deal with this all the time, which is that's not how it was I was there. You know, sometimes you see this as a critique of, of something you write and, we'll, and, and then and the, the proper response. And this isn't just war, this is everything. Mm-hmm. So, well, if I find somebody else who was there who disagrees with you, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, oh, right. oh, my goodness. So, what is interesting about the voices that Peter Jackson uses? You don't find a lot of those guys talking about how futile and stuff mm-hmm, it was. Right. They're kind of talking about a normal military experience. Right. It's not the sort of pure death sentence view that you get from, you know, some of a lot of the work that that comes that sort of came out about World War One memory and it's based on these poets and and right. and their you know very powerful art on this. So I think that that's interesting, and then you know which leads to that Peter Jackson, which sort of you know Peter Jackson's famous for. What I still think is is you know my, and more so after they shall not grow My favorite World War One movie is still is the Lord of the Rings. The Rings.
2: It's really a, it's really a World War One movie.
0: I think I think it is, and I think Peter Jackson. I think you know there's there's some debate about how much Tolkien was trying to mm-hmm. make Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. sort of a thing for World War One. I, I think it certainly informs it, but it's not you know, it's not a direct gotcha. allegory. But I think in Peter Jackson's hands, it it clearly is much more.
1: Hmm. And it I becomes sh- something different, and I think yeah. he showed
0: that by making, in, in sort of making they shall not grow old, and, and having that same theme of like, yes, this is terrible, it's awful, it's brutal, it's also necessary. It also shows a, a great deal of of, of of bravery and fortitude on the part of of those people who were standing up for you know civilization yeah. against. What they said as barbarism,
2: and in and Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, the the good guys win, even though lots and lots and lots of f- nameless, yeah. faceless good and bad guys get killed before our eyes, yeah. right? And,
0: and and some of the you know the the, the people on the, and a the, few, the that's right. The, a few. The, the,
1: the, I um, mean, I think sides. I think this yeah. gets to to the second point that or a point I was making before we started before we hit record, which is that for war movies to work, I in in my humble but clearly correct opinion. <laughs> they have to be they have to be good movies. Mm-hmm. Right? And Lord of the Rings, I mean, people can, you can talk about the the movies versus the, the books and all of that, but they're good they're good movies. They're entertaining, right? And in a in a way uh that's that's really important. And I think war movies to me, when they're when they're good, they are good movies. Mm-hmm. They're good as films. They're they're pieces of art that tell us something you know about the world that we live in and so this question about how accurate war movies have to be Mm -hmm. and how much they have to tell a story and how much they have to entertain um movies don't seem especially big blockbuster release movies maybe don't seem like the right place to like complicate people's ideas Mm about the First right. World War, right? That there's a there's a reason that people want um, the narratives that they know and understand. This is the reason, right, that they freaked out that there was a Sikh soldier in 1917, even though there were clearly Sikh soldiers. Right, right. Um, all, you know, all, and, and imperial soldiers That's all amazing. over. Um so m- also, yeah. What, what are movies supposed to do? And they mm-hmm. have a different, they have a really different role than what academic historians are supposed mm-hmm. to do and what... Um, even popular historians maybe are supposed to do. Well,
2: can I broaden this out a little bit more to talk about you know, not just films, but the problem of historical fiction in general, right? Is that on the one hand, right, we like historical fiction sells because if you're dealing with a, a, a period of history that people like and then you create uh Characters that people can identify outlander. Yeah, like outlander, right? You know, so everybody's wearing the cool costumes right (laughs) and 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 if you create a situation where the the fictional character occasionally interacts with real historical figures It creates an ooh-ah factor Um, Or or if you're Hilary Mantel right you write gigantic books where you take an actual historical figure But you fill that historical figure with all of the author's prejudices and preferences and make that historical figure say all the things that the author wants to be said about England, about religion, about politics, and people feel like they've learned the history of the period. And this is what I wonder about is, you know, it's like if, if you say, right, a historical war film or historical film doesn't have to be accurate. I mm-hmm. um, I agree. Um, But that also means that um, everybody has to be in on the joke, right? Because you can't have the author go around saying, this is completely historically accurate. And then when somebody points out something that's wrong about it, say, well, come on, it's it's just just, a movie. It's just artistic (laughs) license.
0: So I have have two thoughts on this. One is the, uh, what's his name? I think uh, Randall Wallace, the guy who wrote Braveheart and then Ah, then Mm -hmm. made um, Pearl Harbor.
2: Ooh, The movie
0: has that scene where uh, Franklin Roosevelt stands up at the table and says we're gonna do the Doolittle little raid or whatever yeah and i believe he said in one of his interviews like if he didn't do that he should have
2: that sums up how many a lot how many times have historians fiction,
1: thought which that. is
0: like, that's right. oh, awesome and then uh,
1: but the problem but like closer, the problem with pearl harbor is that it's a bad movie right it's
0: also a bad movie right? I, mean, I don't some, like
1: get make it as historically accurate as possible it's a bad movie
0: yeah oh. right right so you, exactly and there's plenty that are sort of that way that are that are okay well this is this is fine but it's it's just it's boring or it's or it's stupid or the acting's bad or the mm-hmm. scenes are, are bad the explosions but the one i was bad. thinking about you know, when you were saying this is that we take a lot closer to home which is for us is killer is, angels yeah. yes killer angels is the one where you put a lot yes. of stuff but and again is you know, this is how I know,
1: several of my students know about Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I sure. that is the thing that they know. It was even, so, it
2: was assigned when I went to when I went to fancy college and had you know had famous civil war professor teach us the civil war. He had us read The Killer Angels. Which and and I
0: would use I would teach the battle of Gettysburg and use the the, the movie mm-hmm. and sort of show it yeah. and have the maps up to so they could sort of visualize where stuff was going because it is powerful and it's you know you know it's accurate enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. And in some ways I think you know Shara, Michael Shara gets some stuff right that actually kind of runs counter to how we run the staff, right? What we do, when we, when we take guys down there and we, and we take a lot of times when we take them to Little Round Top, we do Mm -hmm. the Chamberlain story and Jeff Daniels and the whole thing. And when we, we use this to sort of pick apart, you know, that we've, uh, the the Chamberlain sort of makes up this narrative or exaggerates, not makes it up, but exaggerates the narrative becomes sort of the way that narratives can kind of take over. And I kind of like there's there's something about that that I kind of like, which is uh, uh, that yeah, about the killer angels and 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 the movie also, which is that if everything from the Confederate side from the Rebel side is is largely told through the perspective of generals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and everything from the from the federal side, you know, you're, you know, Mead mm-hmm. Mead makes a brief a brief appearance as You have a little bit of Hancock. You, you know, you have Buford early. Reynolds is killed right away. You know, you, so. It's kind of told from these lower level, which I think is actually a pretty good thing that captures a larger truth about the war, which is that the South had become largely an oligarchy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, a pretty corrupt, mm-hmm. uh, uh, corrupted or uh, corrupted mm-hmm. or oligarchy yeah. or aristocracy that was. And so you would see that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is kind of fitting that the Confederates are sort of nameless, faceless troops led by these. So, you know, supposed you know, these, knights, these lions, giant feudal lords.
2: These, yeah, these giant figures who are who are then engraved on on uh uh Lookout Mount or not. Stone mount. Mount. Stone Stone mount, mount, right. And right. and then and then on the other With side it's, it's it's
0: you know, we we need to make up some you know make up some guys and you know he just died this week, right? Or last week, the uh Buster Killrain actor. It's like
1: the Civil War soldiers have been gone for a long time. Right. Yeah. No. No. The uh, the, the actor the coffee. actor who
0: played the the uh, yeah. but the, the made the made up sergeant the made up sergeant yeah. yeah, yeah. and, right. and and the main regiment was you know he just had, had passed away this last week. But I think there's something to say about those uh, sort of being from the. Mm-hmm.
1: But do you? I mean, hmm. I think this is this is a question then about the profession that we've all entered, which is one of teaching and education as well. Do you need an expert? Sort of reader and guide to figure that out, right? Like, is that like that? I think that's a a interesting and important point. I'm not sure that a casual reader of Killer Angels is is going to draw that draw that thread.
0: Yeah, but this is the thing we're crappy at, right? Historians, we're really bad at 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 uh, providing feeling. You know, no, we're, the self flagellation. In, our, in our chase, I mean, look, of the discipline. Yes, <laughs> begins. All right. So my first answer is yes. Hence, <laughs> Hence of course, our you need the experts the because I like to uh, eat and have, I think a, we're and have useful, a roof. Right? So yeah, we're extremely useful we and vitally hire important Hire and probably promote us and give us raises. But on the other hand, there is something that we tend to be pretty weak at. And I think this is a big strategy thing, which is sort of capturing feelings. You know, we're on our constant hunt for nuance and, mm-hmm. And and miss it, you know, and so we're like, yeah, well, let's complicate that. Let me complicate mm-hmm. that. Let me complicate Unpack that.
1: that or, the, or, yeah, right. or,
2: it's, or if everything, it's the historian as killjoy. You know, right. a, yeah, they, you know they, they, he never really down. said that. There was
1: a meme on social media a couple days ago going around saying, Right. Like why are why are history majors like why are the numbers of history majors down? It's like because the history department recruiter is saying, hey, come be a history major and never enjoy a film, you know, historical <laughs> yeah, right. novel or anything true. you ever watch or talk about ever again. And yeah. I think that and they like all the historians I know were liking this. And I was like, oh, my God, that's not this like that's not, that's not what we do. That's certainly not what I want to do. No. Um, well, yeah, you, I've
0: spent most of my career trying to sort of fight through that to get back to the feeling that I had reading, uh, longest day, we go mm-hmm. back to your point about totally. when I was 12, yeah, you know, and sort of saying, okay, well look, you know, now I'm being told that all this is complicated and it's, you know, there's not just, you know, white hats, black hats, all this other stuff. And, you know, so sure, yeah, they're all wearing gray hats, but you know, I, I think it's kind of our job, and mm-hmm. we're again bad at it, bad at and it, of, of saying, well, yeah, they're all wearing gray hats, but some of those gray hats are a lot wider than the other ones are,
2: and we should we shouldn't mm-hmm. lose sight of that. Well, and you know the story about the historian who drowned in a puddle; it was a well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but the uh, sorry, there you go. It's but
1: it's my favorite mansplaining. joke, It's a good mansplaining right? joke
2: too. That works on multiple <laughs> levels. Yeah. Um. But I. But I will say, right, this gets back to the idea of you know what is it about a story like the Longest Day. That that attracts somebody, or what is or if we, we're back to the idea that a representation of an individual story, an individual person, like you can you can be more accurate in talking about what that person said and did, right? You don't have to have FDR standing up at a table, but there's a reason why stories that grab people are about people, right? The Killer Angels grabs people because it's about people. It's not just about you know, armies, but it's about people. And historians can contribute to that, right? We can make that happen, but without just always saying oh, it's more complicated, it's more nuanced, right? We can say this is what these people did. This is what these people said. Yeah. So, I, I, and some of it is about expressing, you
0: know, using our our craft to express the feeling that that sometimes our subjects are not equipped to express. Hmm. You know, whether it's because when they're young soldiers. They're just sort of too young and immature to do about it. And they're, they're not thinking about it enough to bother, mm-hmm. right? You know, not all of them are trying to be poets. So not of them are trying to be your crowd. In, in fact, they're very small, most very, very, very small not. Are, are not interested in that. They're kind of interested in going back and doing a job or whatever when they get home, some whatever job they're going to career they're going to go into. Or really, let's be honest, most of them are concerned with, you know, surviving, uh, finding, you know, something to drink, preferably that'll make them, you know, drunk. And then you know, for a lot of soldiers, finding a way to uh, get a woman into bed, like that's you know that's that's a big part of what they're trying to do and all this stuff. So they're, they're biological
1: kind of drives. it Turns out are pretty really powerful. important, right? And yeah. they're very and occupied they don't with go that. Away. They don't and then, go but away. it's
0: interesting how often that they uh, they fail. And when people come back and look later on, they do want it explained, right? To, and they do want. And I've had this experience a, a decent amount of time, especially with the World War II guys. And you, you see this a lot, even you know, I'll make a pitch for our AHEC guys and, and their surveys, and a lot of these guys who, when they surveyed the World War II veterans later on in the 80s and 90s and stuff, they started talking about, they would start talking about some of this stuff, about what they actually believed in. Mm-hmm. And they would say, like, at the time, we didn't really think about it, but it was, this, was a, this was a big deal to us. And historians, I think, have a role in helping sort of mm-hmm. tell them back, what, this is what it was about. Right. Uh, and, and, I mean, this is why you your sort of point about, like, putting words in people's mouths. What, you know, there's a reason why there's what is it that it's like? It's like Jesus, Napoleon, and Lincoln have the most, mm-hmm. you know, have the most biographies written about them, or <laughs> right. something like that. Or yeah. and, and it's and because Lincoln was really good at expressing what else, most people don't. You right. know, he was very good at thinking through and crafting it, and we like it because he can. You know, it can add that meaning to it. There's a reason why we generally finish the staff right at Gettysburg at, you know, at the cemetery, at the cemetery and do, right. and read. And you know, I have him read it out loud. Sure, read the Gettysburg Address out loud. So yeah, I think it, it, it. That's something we miss. And it, going back to the Tolkien thing, I think that's actually, I think sometimes we, I think it's much more difficult to have a uh, to to express. You know, what, what we now see is stuff that is kind of trite or cheesy. You know, the rah-rah stuff. In order to like express that well, without it coming off as 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 being you know flag waving and jingoistic and red jingoistic and, 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 yeah, and, yeah, and all that stuff that is is a much higher craft in my opinion mm-hmm. than you know so i kind of think you know it, it, that and then and this is actually the truth that something like game of thrones mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. actually a reaction to tolkien right
2: because it's it takes all of the joy out of it right, right it's right. all just everybody's corrupt it's all cynical it's right. all
0: awful and, and in that sort of fantasy world, those, those people think that this is great and they think that what Tolkien did was easy. Mm-hmm. And I think they're, they're mixing Tolkien with a lot of his followers uh-huh. who are pretty mm-hmm. cheesy and, and obnoxious <laughs> with it and they're imitating. And then... Uh, and and saying, well, yeah, but that's you know, if you're into that rah rah Tolkien stuff, then you not you're not, you, not going to like this game of Game of Thrones, and you know, and this is and Game of Thrones is just and I, that was the word they used was nuance all the time about uh-huh. it, it's so yeah. nuance. So I'm like, it's not nuance. Everybody dies. Right. Everybody's miserable. Everybody's like it's not everybody's awful. Everybody's bad. Like, yeah. everybody you like is going to get killed. We got it. You know, yeah. and it's it's kind of it's sad and depressing.
2: You know, Jackie, I was thinking too is you know you work a lot on uh, Vietnam the Vietnam era, mm-hmm. and you've worked on this book Grunts about. Vietnam soldiers, right? And this issue of how we understand the experience of veterans, but how we understand the experience of the war. And Vietnam has been an especially sort of difficult conflict to capture on film, right? Because do you over personalize, or do you create you create a movie like Platoon that looks like a personal story, but actually is a collection of every Vietnam anecdote crammed into an hour and a half, right? Including including the lonely end calling an airstrike on his own position. Um, But but how do you feel about how how we talk about the role of soldiers at about the grunts? About about the grunts. Yeah. Well,
1: I think. I mean, I should also say, um, Grunts is really Kyle Longley's book, and I got to I got to jump in on a second. Big shout out to Kyle, who's a great guy. With with some new additions to it. But the the question for how do we capture the voices in, in war is a, is a really important one. Um, and for Vietnam, the war is so long. Mm-hmm. People are in such different geographic places, uh, if you were if you were there as a grunt in 1966, that's a really different war mm-hmm. than if you were a grunt in 1968 or 1972, yeah. uh, and it's going to depend on where you are. Are you down in the delta? Are you up in the highlands? Like, wh- and what you're what you're doing? So there is there is no single wartime experience, and that is that's really easy to demonstrate in Vietnam. My sense is that it's. The same in in many other places, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in World War One or World War Two, where you are and and who you're with and how you experience it is all going to be quite uh, quite dependent. Um, for Vietnam, we're lucky to have so many um, memoirs, first person accounts, things like that, where we can sort of do this collective biography, which, which is really what Gruntz is trying to mm-hmm. trying to do, is to get you a sense of the whole as people move through uh in you know drafting and an induction all the way through through coming home uh in a really short accessible way that uses the words of the of the people themselves to tell to tell the story there's not there's not a lot of extra layering on of a historian's interpretation mm-hmm. in that and it makes it um i think a really useful book but also one that that you can't probably use in isolation like it mm-hmm. doesn't it's not going to tell you a lot about the politics of it about the strategy about the high level um questions of of war and operations so you you, you just need these different layers mm-hmm. um and i think that's what historians have to do in the classroom in 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 writing as well. Mm-hmm. So I think in
0: a, a larger sense, it's great that we brought it back to Vietnam because Vietnam is for Americans sort of the uh, British. It's British. It's Britain's World War One, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's right. it's, it's mm-hmm. the generationally like.
2: Uh, and with the whole literature and its own poetry, if you will, right? And, and, yeah. and for and, sure, and, and
0: also I, th- I think a similarly limited one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem yeah. that we're still not, I don't think we're still, we're still not telling the story of Vietnam right. And I don't think we're telling the British story of World War One quite right either. Uh, and I think that there's, in an interesting way, and this comes back to something that we probably have to work on as, you know, in in educating, teaching strategists and, and mili- military strategy people have to be focused on in general. There's a real, there's an interesting similarity, which is, I think that, you know, those voices, all these voices that seem to have, um, uh, they're they're kind of disconnected and on their own uh the troops that are on their own like this this is this this brutal fight and nobody you know, we don't know why we're wandering off into the jungle
2: mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but
0: we're just going out there to get ambushed and get killed or and we don't know why we're uh why we're going or across we know where no we're land. going and
1: we're going to go kill charlie yeah or, and that's that's the only answer you right, need right
0: right and, and you know same sort of thing with although it's it's generally treated as like a dumb Way of going right. about it, just like it's dumb to go across no man's land and get mowed down by machine guns and gas and all the things that happened in, in the World War I that's in our popular imagination, which I'm dealing with all the time right now because I'm writing about the Argonne offensive, which doesn't look hardly anything like the British experience right. for most of the war.
2: It's actually a, b- a battle of movement. And it, well, it's movement, and, but
0: the terrain is, mm-hmm. is really different. The, the, you know, it's heavily wooded in parts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mountains. It's not, it's not really the trenches the same way you see them. Like it's ironic right here at AHAC we have the trenches out there, yeah. which are very British looking trenches, not really what American Americans mm-hmm. didn't generally stay in trenches, digging them and have these permanent places. Mm-hmm. And, and the, uh, the Germans build them different in that area because of the terrain. Um, but the point I think is uh, about both of these cases is that there is this thing that strategists really need to think about, which is why is it that troops at the front and these guys who are telling all these stories seem to have no connection to what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something I think that we do, you know, at times do do really poorly where it just seems like our troops have no clue why they're doing what they're doing. And it has that effect on morale. It has this belief that this is this meaningless log and it's mm-hmm. stupid. And well, it's, I, we're, it gonna,
1: we, we're already seeing it in Iraq and Afghanistan mm-hmm. in the first right. person accounts that are coming out yeah, absolutely. Uh, from, from those two conflicts in particular. Right. And things uh, titled like, you know, how I knew when we lost or why were, you know, why was I even there sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and and I think that that is a failure because I mean, I say this all the time with like people like, I mean for, for Vietnam for years, right. People would say, yeah, we didn't know why we were in Vietnam. We didn't know we were in Vietnam. I was, Non-communist, non-communist, yeah. independent South Vietnam
2: it's actually talked about like, quite a bit. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was like
0: that's stated
1: a f- many, right, right. many,
0: many, I mean, times, many times. And I said, like, and nobody ever goes, no, that's not why.' Like, oh yeah, right. And I'm like, <laughs> well, how is it that that guys don't know this? Like which is per-
1: which is different to say we didn't know why we were there, and we think why we were there was a bad idea. Right. That's right? A different. Like, those are two really different yeah, arguments, questions. but I think they get conflated rhetorically. But what I'm
0: saying though is that you know when we say that the first thing that you know military strategy have to figure out is is the why the purpose of the fight you know you don't know why you're in this thing and we could we could trot out the most overused clausewitz line and say this you know what's the nature of the war you're in but the but that that's that point of of if if we've said this you know how do you communicate that down the line and keep and, and you know we forget this too just repeat it repeat it repeat it and, and otherwise it just becomes you know, just noise, and they're just at the front. And they don't know why. Mm-hmm. You know, so we do certain things in World War II to make it easier, and in, in wars where you're moving a lot, mm-hmm. you can sort of see it. You know, we're headed toward Germany. Got it. There's a map. Mm-hmm. I can look at this. They gave us stars and stripes for right. reading it. You know, I all of a sudden the town names aren't French; they're German. I I got where I'm going here. This makes a little more sense. Um, but you have that problem in both World War One and and Vietnam, where you're not moving yeah yeah one because the trend you are you know, to the West. same
2: place over and over again,
0: and so there there's that that's that problem of how do you as a leader military leader show progress when you can't show it on a map and mm-hmm. you know, how do you how no. do you communicate that down the line so that these, so that you don't end up with a bunch of stories that are Sort of the only thing they have in common is they don't have they don't they they don't know what they're doing.
2: Well, and and how do you how do you tell how do you quote tell that story without appearing to be simply feeding a propaganda line that Mm -hmm. would then encourage cynicism in the listeners?
1: Or where you just keep saying things are getting better, we're turning a corner,
2: the light at the end of the tunnel,
1: this right. you know home by Christmas kind of kind of thing. It's a it's a narrative problem mm-hmm. uh, in a very in a very literal sense that n- narratives have to have a sense of movement over time and often over or at least through space. Um, and these these wars where where movement isn't maybe a major part of it, um, you can get stuck without a without a story. True. Pretty easily.
2: Well, and talking about narratives that have a particular time and space, unfortunately, in the space of this conversation, we've used up all of our time. The sand sand has run. The
1: sand of time.
2: Has has run to the end of this particular water (laughs) cooler conversation. But next time we're going to explain
0: the meaning of war.
2: The Meaning of War, uh, be, in a future discussion, whenever that discussion might be. It's going to be
1: I'm sure it will I'm sure
2: <laughs> It'll, <laughs> it'll all be explained. We have 32 minutes. 32 it'll minutes be, to do it'll so. It'll be good. Well, thanks so much, uh, Jackie and Tom, for joining us uh, for uh, on here on the in on A Better piece in the War Room for this water cooler conversation. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this, and uh, you hope that you will uh, send us your suggestions for future water cooler conversations, as well as your comments on this one. But until next time...